Hello, this is David. Hey, and this is Shiloh. And this is History by the Century. Hey, so, you know, we recorded the third Century episode, and it was massive. Uh, it was like an hour and a half, so what we've decided to do... Well, what do we decide to do, Shiloh? Well, you know, I think... Initially, we thought we'd just have a, it would be easy to talk about a hundred years in you know like forty five minutes, right? I mean, what could be what could be any there could be no problem with talking about a hundred years in forty five minutes. But then we yeah. soon realized that there might be a few more things we want to talk about. So this is it, Dave. We are yeah. We we almost went full Dan Carlin, you know, yeah, with well, uh, like the the five hour podcast episode. But wow, yeah. Uh, so. It looks like we're going to break this one down and you can look, that's something to look forward to for the future is uh, hearing, you know, multiple episodes for, for centuries. If they're big, if they're full of a lot of stuff. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, like the four or five hundreds, maybe they won't be as big. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. So, you know, when we, when we left it off, we were talking a little bit about how did we get out of the crisis of the third century in Rome? And we, we kind of have differing opinions on who the guy was that led us out of, or led Rome out of the crisis of the third century. So Shiloh, who do you think brought Rome out? I I think that Aurelian really did it. Aurelian was there. He did the legwork. That's why I think you give him the credit for it. I know he's not the one that usually does get the credit, but I think if you didn't have Aurelian, they would have never made it out of the, out of those dark times for, for Rome. But I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I, you know, I think that Aurelian was, he only, he didn't really have a fair chance because he only ruled for five years and he probably wouldn't have been assassinated because everybody loved him. It was just, he made one guy mad, his secretary, and he kind of maneuvered things and got him out. So if he'd ruled for longer, maybe he would have made a lot of the same choices that the, my guy or my choice for the, the, the one, <laughs> I shouldn't call him my guy, you know, uh, you know, I really, I would edit that out, but it's too much trouble. <laughs> so, well, Dave, tell us about your guy. Who's who's uh, your guy that you're uh, you're kind of going to talk about right now? I hate every part about this now, Shiloh. <laughs> so, okay, so I I, I was going to start with a Winston Churchill quote, and it was going to be awesome, but we just ruined it. So, anyways, no, Winston tell me what Churchill. was the Winston? I want to hear the Winston Churchill quote. I, I love Winston Churchill quote. So, Winston Churchill, one of the things he said was that great and good are seldom the same man. And so, you know, we talked about the the five good emperors when we had our, our second episode. And, you know, the reason they were the good emperors wasn't because they were good people. It was because they were good at running the Roman Empire. Like, for example, Hadrian, he did a good job. He built walls. He built up the troops. Everything kind of stayed together. But he also put down a Jewish revolt uh, that killed 600,000 people. And uh, he was even so mad at the Jews after that that he changed the name of Judea, the province of Judea. Uh, he, he said, hey, who's who's the uh, the enemy of the, the Jews? And, and someone's like, hey, it's the Philistines. And so he said, well, let's just name it uh, after the Philistines. And he renamed it Palestina, the Greek word for the Philistines, or Palestine. But that's kind of a sidetrack. So yeah, the well, point is... When you when you're bringing that up, you were, that's your happened that happened in the second century with Hadrian, right? Right, and then and you know Hadrian, you know like yeah. So but this guy third century Diocletian, 
Uh, the reason I bring that up is because the more I learned about Diocletian, I was fascinated by him. He came after Aurelian, and I really feel like he was the one that went step by step and dismantled all of the things that were causing the crisis of the 3rd century. But I made the mistake with Diocletian of learning about him in chronological order. Um, and so if you learn about him from the beginning to the end, most of his his reign is amazing, all the things that he did. But at the end, there was a major stain on his reign, uh, and it's a pretty big one. It was he tried to wipe out Christianity. He actually tried to destroy all copies of the Bible. And so as fascinated as I am with Diocletian, uh, if I had been living back then, he would have likely tried to kill me. Um, and so it's just, I wanted to throw that out there first because it kind of, it, it affects how you view him. And it's kind of a good thing to know from the start. I mean, I almost feel like it, it would be if, if somebody, you know, 2000 years ago was learning about the, or from now would be learning about the 20th century, you know, and they're, they're learning about German history and they're like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, he really improved the economy. He made jobs, you know, turn the page. Oh, wow. Like what, you know, why didn't you start with that? That's, that's a rough one. But I mean, so Diocletian, it's the same thing. He did some horrible things, but he, I feel he was the reason that Rome didn't fall in the third century. Well, I know that uh, you have mentioned some really good points here. So bringing up Diocletian, how he rescued them from the third century, his reign, speaking of by the end of his reign, some of the bad things he did, we're talking specifically now after that um, crisis of the third century, they're starting to come out of that. So we're looking at around 280s plus. So 200 years, 280, 290. That's when it all starts to get pretty, um, pretty heavy when they're out of the out in the clear of this crisis, right? That's the time frame we're talking about. Well, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think he reigned from like 285 to uh, I believe it was 305. So it was a little bit in the fourth century. And so just going through the stuff that he did. Uh, one by one. Hold on, I was I was looking at my where my was notes. where was Diocletian? Uh, like how did he where how did he come about for this guy to be as you know big time as well, he is all the stuff? You know, guys. he was he he was Illyrian, you know, just like Aurelian, um, Aurelian the Illyrian. Wow, that's that's a mouthful. But um, you know, with Diocletian, I believe it was just it was another military coup, and usually with those those generals, you know, they would come into power and they weren't really good generals, but they were good at coming into power. But it seemed like with all the other uh, emperors of the the uh, the crisis period, they were kind of playing imperial whack-a-mole. You know, they'd have a problem uh, pop up in one part of the empire, they'd, you know, whack that mole, and then two more would pop up in another part of the empire. But Diocletian, he came in with a plan. It was almost like he had been preparing for it his entire life. Uh, and so he just started implementing things. Boom, 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 boom. So the first problem you have is assassination, which, of course, affects him. He doesn't want to die. But it also affects the empire because, as you know, if the emperor gets killed, you have civil war, you have purges. And so step one, he deified himself. So he made himself a god while he was still alive. So Shiloh, you know, as you know, back then with deification of the Roman empires or Roman emperors, when did it normally happen? Oh, it was usually um, after the emperor had died. They, the next emperor would come to the Senate and he'd have to say something like, you know, I, I do think this guy was really good. I think it might be a good idea to, you know, put him in the, the god pantheon, you know. Right. Yeah, check Something off like the God box. And God then, box, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but he, while he was alive, he said, hey, I'm a God, 
and uh, you know everybody's going to start worshiping me. And so for the people back then who were very superstitious or maybe just a little stitious, you know, it makes it just that much harder to kill the guy, you know, because they don't want to kill a god because they, they're, they're polytheistic, they have respect for the gods. And uh, this brings up my first point, and we're going to go into this. Uh, Diocletian, he didn't just save the Roman Empire. He completely changed uh, European history for the next thousand years and set up the Byzantine Empire, some people think. We're going to get into that. But this was the first step towards feudalism in in Europe. So, for so example, you're telling yeah, me, go ahead. You're telling me we're about to talk about a guy that sets up European history. Like, you mean, did he have like knights in shining armors and castles and maidens in distress, <laughs> or how? To, like, is that where we're at, or what, what's going well, on? Well, 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 not yet. But he, each one of his solutions to a problem of the crisis period, set up a different part of feudal Europe. Not then. But in the future, so for example, uh, in Europe, you have the divine right of kings. That was kind of a new thing to the Romans. Before this, power came up from the Senate uh, or the people or even uh, the army. That was where your, par your power came from as emperor. Um, even uh, during the crisis period, the Praetorian Guard would often make the emperor the emperor. They even had a bidding war one time on who got to be the emperor. So to say that God gave you the right to be the emperor and that you were one of those gods was a brand new thing. But in Europe, that became the, the thing that they did after that. So that's one aspect of feudalism. Um, another thing that he did right off the bat was—sorry, um, I was just looking at my notes here—the uh, walls. Now, you know, we talked about uh, Hadrian before. So— Hadrian's known for, you know, fill in the blank, Hadrian's beard. <laughs> you know, every, you know, every time I talk about Hadrian's beard, you laugh. Well, I okay. So Hadrian's wall. Um Oh, right. Yes. I yeah, feel like I so, feel like I may have had this same conversation with you before. Well, I mean, he was the first emperor to have a beard. But so Hadrian, his thing was he put walls up. And on the edges of the empire, you'd have a big army, you'd have a big wall, but hey, what happens if your army stretched a little thin and the Parthians or the Goths or, you know, whoever breaks through the wall, you know, at that point, they can kind of run willy-nilly in Rome. And so Wait, Aurelian... You, I'm sorry, did you just say run willy-nilly in Rome? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't say that. I, I'm, I think that could be, I think that could be the greatest thing I've ever heard. Running willy nilly in Rome. It's so you're telling me these armies can break through the walls, and when they get through, everything's just going to go all willy nilly in Rome. They they were very silly sometimes, Shiloh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were very silly willy nilly. Those, um, goth, those but... gothic kids coming in, getting all willy nilly <laughs> with their chains and jinko pants, and you know, um, <laughs> shopping at Hot Topic. Um, so. Anyways, where where are we at? So well, it, you're talking about so, the walls, Are, yeah, yeah. So Aurelian, you know, your, your guy, your guy, Aurelian, he started the wall building. Like he built the Aurelian walls of Rome, correct? Love, yeah, I love those walls. Yeah, and uh, which Diocletian finished, by the way, I believe. Is that right? Oh, or? Yeah. Is that is that how you? No, it, it they got finished a little bit before that. Just to be clear, too, there was a few emperors in between Aurelian and Diocletian. 
Oh, that's right. Okay, so, sorry. So sometimes it's it's kind of like, it doesn't get to go from like a really, really awesome, the greatest Aurelian to then that next really pretty good one, Diocletian. There's a few in between. I know you, you're frowning, I'm sure, at what I just said, but well, there was a few in between. Well, I'm wishing that I'd that part a little bit better before I opened my mouth. <laughs> no, no, um, no, but I'm just saying like uh, Aurelian, he started those walls because I think um, what you're saying is good because they started to develop a different type of defense, right? Yeah, so in it, in it, rather than having one big wall, you know, you have city walls. And so instead of having big armies, you have smaller armies in those cities, and you have small garrisons in forts. So in other words, if, if the Parthians or the Goths or, or the Gauls or whoever get through your, your border, it's not a big deal. Because they show up at a city with a wall, and they're not good at siege works. So they're going to start hitting their head against the wall. And that gives the other armies time to swoop in and surround them. Or even if they get to a wall and they just uh, or one walled city and they bypass it and go to the next walled city, well, they're just further in the empire. Wait a minute. So, so you're it, it almost it almost sounds like you're telling me like that's like the precursor to the castle. Yeah, exactly. So it was the precursor to the castle. You know, in feudal Europe, you had small kingdoms. And you had castles with walled cities. And so this was another thing where Diocletian, he was setting up um, the, the seeds for feudal Europe. And so uh, if we're done with walls, I was going to go on to the next thing. And this is kind of a biggie. Um, and that was that, why don't we put it this way? Shiloh, let's say if we look back at Abraham Lincoln. What if, when Abraham Lincoln became the president of the United States, he said, hey, you know what? This job is too big for me. So what I'm going to do is we're going to split the United States in half. Uh, we're going to have a government in the north. We're going to have a government in the south. We're going to have two presidents. We're going to have two governments. And everything's going to work just fine. That what do you think about that? That sounds ridiculous. I, it, they, they had a war over that. No one gets along. You can't have two presidents in one country it's that's crazy talk yeah but so that's what he did so pretty much right off the bat to the point where it kind of seems like they had planned it ahead of time diocletian made a co-emperor which wasn't a new thing it, it had been done a few times before but the difference was is he completely split the empire in half between east and west so what he did was he got maximian uh, which he was basically his old drinking buddy. He was five years younger than him, um, and he made him co-emperor. And to make it official, he legally adopted him, which they often did. But the thing is, because they were friends, it worked. It was kind of like when we joked in the second century episode about how, you know, if we, if I was emperor or you were emperor, we would make the other guy co-emperor. Uh, you know, and one would take the east, one would take the west. That's what they did. Wow. What did you say? What what side were you going to take again? I was going to take West, so I would be Maximian. Oh, okay. And yeah. I guess if that's the case. Yeah, but no. um, the thing yeah. is, like, even though they were equal, it kind of seemed like if they had a di disagreement uh, that M Maximian would let Diocletian win. Kind of like if you had one friend that was a lot better than another friend at chess, every once in a while he would let the other guy win, Shiloh. Whoa. I feel suddenly like I just got sniped. In the middle of this <laughs> thing, uh, whoa! Shots fired over here. What, what, what am I supposed to do when we play now? <laughs> okay. So, so, anyways, but the, it works. So, like for example, you had problems with civil wars. So, why not just if you have generals that want to become the emperor, 
and that causes civil wars, why don't you off the bat take another general and make him the emperor? Then he can't cause a civil war. So, But the nice thing was, because it split everything in two, it, it meant that you could get twice as much done as the emperor. And it really, it allowed a lot of things that would have slipped through the cracks not to slip through the cracks. But what it also did is it set up a split that later, when the Western Empire uh, fell, the Eastern Empire kept going, and it became the Byzantine Emperor, or the Byzantine Empire. So the people in the East, they didn't call themselves Byzantines. They called themselves Romans. That's a name we give it now. But a lot of people feel that he was the first emperor, and he inadvertently set up the Byzantine Empire. And so if two emperors are better than one emperor, what's better than two emperors? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say four. Yeah, that's right. So he, he's like, well, hey, two emperors works. Let's make four emperors. And so that's what he did. They had the two guys that were in charge, the Augustas. That's what he called him and Maximian. And then they got two junior emperors or two assistant emperors or assistant to the regional emperors. And they called them Caesars. And one of them was actually Constantius, who is the father of Constantine, in the uh, the fourth century, who's pretty famous? Oh, so I love, they called. I can't wait to talk about Constantine. Yeah, he's a he's a big name, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. huge. So, he's, uh, but so he's not he's not a part of this thing, but yeah, he's he's around. So okay. he's there, but he's younger. Um, and his dad is the one who is one of the Caesars, and so at this point, like he kind of feels like he's being groomed to be, you know, the next big thing. But so they call themselves the Tetrarchy. Tetra meaning wait, four. They called. What what was what was this band called? <laughs> the Tetrarchy. That sounds like the greatest band, and it's four, right? So you got like drummer, guitar player, bass player, singer. That the Tetrarchy. That's a I'm band surprised name. Nobody's ever thought of that before. That's such a good band. Wait a minute, did it work? Did the Tetrarchy work? I mean, as a was band it successful? Or, well, yeah, but I mean, I think the Tetrarchy as a band would work unless the drummer decided to change the name to a stupid name like Frish and Chips and paint his bass. Wait a minute. So this Tetrarchy thing does it end up actually succeeding or how does it? How well, does it... okay, sorry, I was getting. What, uh, just give me, changing. just give so, me yeah. a one a one word answer here. Does the Tetrarchy is it a good idea or a bad idea? Yes, for a little while. So it, it seems like the Tetrarchy so, worked. So I'm you're sorry, telling me like the Tetrarchy is kind of like. It looks good at, at the beginning. You're basically telling me Tetrarchy <laughs> is four. So you're saying that essentially what I'm hearing is a 2005 version of Fantastic Four. It kind of seemed <laughs> cool at the beginning. And then you watched it and you were like, this fell apart. It was horrible. Are you telling you know, me we're then, talking about... You're telling me that there was a Fantastic you know Four? And then when they tried to make a sequel, it kind of flopped because that's what happened. Like, <laughs> So you're telling me basically we're watching Fantastic Four of the third century. I, that is 100% what I am saying, Shiloh. Okay, because that's how, that's how I'm going to be able to remember this now. I'm going to be able to say, okay, Mr. Fantastic was Diocletian. The thing was <laughs> Maximian, because he was always, he's, in the coins, Maximian always looks like he's a little chunkier. I get this, <laughs> this mental image of, like, Maximian's kind of chunky. And uh, Human Torch is by far, he's the cool one. He's uh, Constantine's dad. Okay, I'm sorry. I got off topic. Okay, go ahead. Oh, man, that was awesome. Well, yeah, so just like Fantastic Four, when they tried to make the sequel, it flopped. Uh, so we're going to get into that later, but without Diocletian, it didn't work. He was the glue that kept everything 
together. So, um, yeah, but so that was one of the things he did, and it it worked at least for a time. Um, the other thing that he did, uh, ex- oh, sorry. So he made the uh, this was a big one. He separated the military from the civilian government, and that might seem kind of weird. Uh, to us, because like, for example, in the United States, they are two separate things. But back then, like if you were the governor or the proconsul of a province, you were also the general of the armies that were stationed there. So there's a few bad consequences of this. One is you can't be in every place at, at the same time. So if the Parthians invade, you have to go and take care of that. But who's running the province? Uh, and vice versa, if you're doing a good job of running your province, who's watching the armies? And maybe you're really good at one, but not the other. And also, there's a ton of power invested in one person. So if you want to, oh, I don't know, cause a civil war, it's a lot easier to do it because you've got the army to do it, you've got the resources to do it, and it's really simple. So what he did is he separated the two. And that way, if you were good at running a province, you could be a governor. But if you were good at running you know, the military, you could be a general— and the general was called a dux or a duke, which we have later in the feudal system. And so he also um, added a lot more people. He doubled the size of the uh, the government, the civilian government, and also the size of the military. And so what that did is it diluted power so that not one person could cause a civil war, but also less stuff fell through the cracks so the government actually worked better. Um, so, sorry, Shallow, I, uh, I got a little distracted there, uh, talking about the, uh, civilian government. That's, so that's, you might be wondering how, how is he paying for this all? So that's we exactly, I actually wanted to ask you, you know, when you paused for a minute, I said, okay, that sounds all great and all Dave, but how is they, how are they paying for all these soldiers and stuff? Yeah. So we talked before about, uh, in the last, you know, episode on the, the third century debasement and runaway inflation. So the question is, how do you pay uh, for a government and for an army if the money is worthless? How do you tax the people without using money? And so Diocletian completely revamped the tax system, and he did a couple things. But one thing is he taxed people on a per capita basis. So back then, you know, certain people were completely tax exempt. Like if you lived in Italy, you were tax exempt. Uh, the other provinces were taxed, and it was uniform. So if you were poor, you were taxed the same amount as if you were rich, which kind of didn't work uh, because poor people couldn't afford it. Uh, and if they could, you couldn't get enough money. So he did a sliding scale. That was the first step. The second step is he had to try to fix the monetary system. Aurelian started it, but Diocletian kept doing it, where they increased the amount of precious metals in money, and they standardized it. Diocletian actually made five new types of coins that had more precious metal, and they pumped it out into the economy. But the problem was they didn't take the old stuff out. And so they kept printing more money, which caused more inflation. So they started doing a fascinating thing where they would tax people in kind. So in other words, that means that if you are, for example, Shiloh the Butcher, Instead of you paying your money, your taxes in money, you would pay your taxes in meat. Or, yeah, that if, uh, like a good idea. Except, you know, do, if do I have to be a butcher? Can I be something else? Yeah, what do you want to be? Um, could I, what if I was, you know, I was in the arts? What if I, you know? Yeah, well, 
that actually was the thing. If you were an artist, you would pay your taxes in art. So the the thing is, like, you have to figure out, you know, how much tax does somebody owe? And so what Diocletian did, which was fascinating for us today, is he made this giant equivalency chart. And so, you know, you could look on this chart and it would tell you that, for example, uh, you know, five chickens would equal two pigs, which would equal one cow, or which would equal, you know, five days labor for an artist or for a mule driver. And everything was on there. It was extremely detailed. And you would just look at how many units of tax you owed, and that's what you would pay. But it gives us, like, really interesting information that kind of doesn't have to do with that. Like, for example, in the first century, we talked about how a pound of silk costs the same amount as a live lion. These are things we know today. We also learned that there's three types of beer. Three. In they, the, they had three. Yeah, three, three different. Okay. So but get had, this. The they one, had lagers, stouts, and IPAs? Well, I don't know. But the one from Egypt was valued at half as much. Oh my, so you're telling me Egypt had its own Zima? Yeah, it was the Zima of the third century, apparently. Oh. <laughs> Is Zima going to make it into all our episodes now? Uh, I really hope not. I mean, I didn't even know it was a thing until uh, uh, anymore. I mean, I, I kind of assumed they weren't around. No, wait, no, um, it wasn't Zima. It's was the one that failed. Uh, if all those that are listening and just casually here, here's, a, here's something for you to check out. Check out the competitor to Zima, Clear Beer. And don't ask me how I know any of that, but at any rate, <laughs> very failed attempt at a clear version of beer, which everyone's like, Isn't, that's, that's not beer. Wait a minute. So yeah, what else so, is on this giant, you know, barter list that he has? Well, I think there was like six different types of wine and uh, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Did I read but that I mean, right? That like uh, new wine was worth more than old wine. I think I might have read was that. It? I, oh, I wow. don't quote me on that, but I, their, their whole valuing system seemed a little. I think so. Yeah. But, I mean, could you imagine, Shiloh, and this is my would-you-rather question, like, would you rather pay taxes with money, or would you rather pay taxes in kind? Oh, I'd rather pay taxes in kind all day. Yeah, it seems like it'd be nice. Like, I mean, if you were, like, you know, a window cleaner, you you just, you say, oh, well, I'm going to go clean, you know, windows at the federal bi- building so many days, or if, like, you're Corey the IT guy, you know, you go and you, you know, do IT work for the government for so many days. But, you know, I think it would probably reduce loopholes too in the tax system unless of course you're a seamstress in which case you would be paying in loopholes wow wow that there's a lot of things that you just said that blew my mind the least of which is a joke about seamstresses or yeah, you know, sirs. I don't know how to say that in a not, neutral. Not form. that many people. There, I don't think there's too many jokes you can make about sewing. Um, so wait a minute. But wait, are you still talking about the economy with the? I mean, with I, the prices and stuff like that. Taxation I was, stuff? but I was going to talk about how this inadvertently led into feudalism with serfs. So oh, okay. the question is, like, it it seemed to work, at least for a time. It seemed to work. They they had to change it later on, but. You know, you start to worry. What happens if one year everybody pays their taxes in pigs? Or you, oh, you know, I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I don't. But I could just imagine. I just vision came to my head. A lot of pigs. Yeah. Or or like, what happens if if uh, you know everything's working fine, but then like your kids, everybody's kids decide one year that they're going to become artists, and so everybody tries to pay in art. Like. What happens? And so Diocletian was worried about this, and so he started to create these guilds. And, like, every single profession started to become a government-run guild. And according to this, 
if you were a, you know, a mule driver, you were always a mule driver, and your kids would be mule drivers. Uh, you know, if you worked in a mine, your kids would work in mines. Uh, you know, if you were a butcher, your kids would be butchers. Uh, so, if you're a garbage man, your kids are going to be a garbage man. And so people started to be- – I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no. No, tell me. Well, so what happened? So people started to become tied to their jobs, and their families always had to have those jobs, and their people were tied to the land as well. There was a restriction of movement, and so it was another step closer to uh, feudal Europe um, as well, uh, where you have serfs that are tied to the land that have to keep the same jobs, and their kids have to have the same jobs as well. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to just say I like how— in this episode, we're kind of outlining what happens for the hundreds of years into the future, especially in Europe, you know, which is what has influenced so much of Western culture. But uh, on what you were saying there, based on all the civil wars that are going on, you're, you're having all kinds of shortages between food and people. And I think that was making those guilds was a good way to stabilize. At the time, it seemed like a good way to stabilize the economy, to keep people doing um, consistent with work, types of work, like you mentioned, everything from you know providing food to you know equipment for the military, things like that. But I feel like also what happened was is um, with, the, with the money and the taxes, I think you see kind of a, some big effects from how Diocletian enacted taxes in some ways I, I believe diocletian he started a program where um, those lords that you talked about like the dukes or the, the basically mm-hmm. the the ones that were in charge of smaller um we could call them little kingdoms now because we're almost we're, we're starting to get ready to kind of describe europe all these these leaders of these little mini kingdoms basically they they weren't getting taxed the same on their exports or they were they weren't getting taxed on their what they produce for themselves they were getting taxed on their exports so that's kind of a like when we talk about feudal europe you have these little smaller kingdoms and you know they're they're getting this kind of um this mindset of produce everything internally and make sure that they're the source of everything they need basically be self-sufficient and then don't buy a lot, but try and sell a lot. And so that kind of gets you into this type of um, economy that some people call, I'll describe as mercantilism. So the idea is that you don't ever want to buy anything from anyone else. You always want to sell so you can keep accumulating more and more wealth. And that kind of starts to breed into like colonization where you go and take over other places so that you can now control more means of production, things like that. So I feel like with what Diocletian started, that's a huge jump and a big rant from me, but I feel like what he encouraged was kind of a mercantile uh, mindset of, hey, you got your own small little kingdom, uh, you want to be self-sufficient, and you want to basically continue to take over more and always be outputting. Whereas now the, the economy of the world is not based like that. We see there's a totally different mindset now but i feel like diocletian encouraged that if not maybe saying that he was the source of it he definitely encouraged what would become later on just europe fragmenting into all kinds of little kingdoms fighting with each other all not wanting to be uh, interdependent and working with each other you know what i mean does that make sense yeah excuse me oh yeah (laughs) absolutely 
Sorry, I had a moment. <laughs> Did, let me. Can I wake you up from your nap over there? <laughs> I look. I look over and you're like, uh huh. <laughs> did I so, just hey. did I just go off on a rant and pe- people right now are gonna be like, you should have just fast forwarded the last three minutes. No, no, it was great. <laughs> I loved it. I um yeah, I was looking over my notes because I, I realized I there was like something I failed to mention uh with taxation, like something that he did first. Is it okay if I share that with you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um before he did all this, he had to figure out uh how much stuff the government needed because he wasn't trying to get stuff with money, he was trying to get stuff. So Back then with armies, they had it down to a science. Like if you had a legion, you know, you knew, okay, for like your 6,000 guys, exactly how many sandals you would need, how much food you would need, uh, how how many swords you would need. And they were really detailed about it. But he did that with the entire government for all the military, all the government, how much specific stuff they would need before he started taxing people in kind. And they say it was the first annual budget of a country in the Western Empire. So that means the next time, you know, you're watching the news and, uh, you know, Congress or, the, you know, the Senate, they're working on the annual budget uh, for the United States. You know, you can turn to the person next to you and be like, hey, did you know the first annual budget was created by Diocletian in the third century? And they will be so impressed, they will roll their eyes and change the subject. Okay, they, they probably won't care. Uh, they'll at they'll all. care. No, they'll definitely care, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, the other like cool little. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Tell me. Yeah, but the other cool little thing, uh, just talking about leading into feudalism is, uh, whenever, he, uh, Diocletian he made smaller everything. He made smaller armies. So like, uh, he took legions and he cut them from six thousand to one thousand. Like basically, he took a cohort and called a legion. He also made uh, provinces smaller, but then you still have to have the big picture. And so he made these big sections with several provinces in them, and he called them dioceses. And do you know the name of the person that was in charge of a diocese? No, tell me. It was a vicar. And wow. if you look at the Catholic Church today, it's they have the exact same thing. They have dioceses with a vicar in charge of them, and a lot of the boundaries are the same as they were back then. So just another thing where Diocletian made a change that made sense for a specific problem that they had then, and... Uh, it, it had effect for a thousand years after that. So, I mean, he was fasting because he set up feudal Europe inadvertently, and he also, by splitting the empire in two, uh, led to what would become the Byzantine Empire later. Uh, are we ready to move on to his, his later years and what he did with the Christians? Yeah, I think um, that's a good... Well, you know what? Before we get into the Christians, um, I mean, what's going on with Christianity at this time, maybe just some raw numbers about it uh basically at this time you know there's not a set number on how many christians are in the roman empire but i mean i've heard numbers from you know three million five million and ten million it really depends but that's very small in comparison with the population of the roman empire so you know you're looking at a very very small percentage of um the roman empire so you mentioned that uh, speaking about what happened with the Christians and how we're going to talk about Diocletian and the persecution that he brought on the Christians. But this wasn't something new in the Roman Empire. In fact, years and years before, even around the year 250, Decius had started, a, the emperor Decius had started a persecution against the, the Christian peoples living in the Roman Empire. And some people even wonder how many Christians were living in the Roman Empire. 
there's no set numbers. It's difficult to say exactly, but we could maybe say a round number of 2 million people, maybe 8% of the Roman population is Christian, maybe 10%. It's, it's not a huge percentage and it's not a lot of people, but it's enough to where the Roman Empire is starting to take notice. Decius makes a, um, an edict to have the Christians persecuted, their land taken, or they, they are killed for not sacrificing to the emperor. So they basically needed to uh, make a small sacrifice to the emperor, which is nothing for the Roman people. That, that's not a big deal. But for the Christians, that was something they couldn't do. They were supposed to only um, have allegiance or worship to God. So at this point now, this causes all kinds of different problems in the um, the Christian community of the Roman Empire because those that actually did sacrifice to the emperor, they were considered apostates, and there was then a question of what to do if they wanted to return to Christianity. It becomes a very uh, big subject, a very deep subject for what's going on in Christianity at this time. And then from there, it's kind of interesting. You think about... Um, Emperor Valerian. Remember what happened with him? Uh, he was off fighting the Sassanids. What happened to Valerian? Yeah, remember? I I believe he was the first emperor to actually get captured in a battle, and I I think they killed him and they taxidermied him, uh, because it came up like, yeah, they uh, uh, later they um, you know they went to war again with with those guys and. Uh, part of the peace deal was they were like, hey, remember that time when you stuffed our emperor? Like we kind of want him back. Yeah, so um, that's the interesting little side note about Valerian. And it's kind of interesting, too, because Valerian is fighting with Sharpur the first, And so he's an, an interesting name. We're going to talk about later on Sharpur the second. He's going to be a, you know, a big, interesting character of the uh, 4th century. But at this point, Valerian, he's off fighting in the desert in basically modern day, you know, Syria, Iraq, Iran, he's moving his his troops through the area there or wanting to fight with the Sassanid Empire and he gets captured. But before he's captured out there, he still has time to send letters to the Senate to say, hey, by the way, make sure you perse persecute the Christians. So this wow. wasn't persecuting the Christians, wasn't something new per se, but I, it's definitely... Um, another level when it comes to Diocletian and what he did. So you're going to tell us about that, right? Yeah, so there's different different uh, theories behind why he persecuted the Christians. Uh, one theory is he, he was looking for unity, and he felt like they would uh, destroy the unity of the empire. Um, one story says that he was trying to uh, uh, get some divination done uh, in the palace, and the, the div diviners, diviners... What, what do you call somebody who does divination? Is it is it a diviner or a diviner? I think you had a diviner, yeah. And if it's not, it is now. It's a diviner. He's a diviner. Diviner? Isn't that how you yeah. say it in a sense? Like, use it in a sense. Uh, that diviner over there. I, well, the, I want to say that right diviner. Well, because it's, it's not divination. <laughs> it's divination. But I mean, I it is pronunciation. I, you pronounce I'm over here talking so. about no one can take okay. anything we're saying seriously because I don't even know who. <laughs> Well, so anyways, the, the you know, the, the divination isn't going well, and Diocletian's like, hey, why isn't it working? And they're like, oh, hey, it's not my fault. It's those uh, Christians that you have working in the household. They, they're preventing it from working. And, you know, then he asks, like, other other people that do divination, um, you know, hey, uh, is this happening to you too? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, whenever there's Christians nearby, it doesn't work. And so he starts persecuting the Christians for whatever reason, and he wants them to sacrifice to him, which they won't do. 
And so he starts this uh, purge where he's trying to kill the Christians. He's trying to destroy the Bible. And the there's different numbers. Some people think that he killed a lot. Uh, some people think that he didn't kill that many. Some people think it was around a few thousand that died. Uh, it seems like it wasn't enforced. Uh, you know, at this point, you have four emperors. Um, but it seems like in a lot of the provinces, people didn't really want to persecute the Christians because, for one, a lot of them were monotheistic uh, because of sun worship. And they felt like, well, hey, if you're going to persecute this one monotheistic religion, maybe you're going to persecute me too. And a lot of people, too, were starting to associate Jesus with the sun god. Like, if you look at artwork uh, from this time period of Jesus, uh, he has rays emanating from his head, uh, or a halo, which came from sun worship. And so a lot of people just, they knew the Christians, they were nice people, uh, they uh, paid their taxes, um, and so they didn't want to persecute them. Um, one thing that uh, Diocletian did is at, he kicked the Christians that were in the army out of the army, because at this point in the third century, Christians were starting to join the army. They weren't in the first, but by the third some had. Um, so it seems like what happened in a lot of the provinces is because they were great ro uh, uh, record takers, uh, record keepers, uh, it seemed like basically the person in charge would sign off on the Christians and say, hey, you know, they, they did the sacrifice. Uh, but in other areas, they were persecuted and many were killed. Um, significantly, Constantius, the father of Constantine and one of the emperors, uh, was very light in his persecution of the Christians. And that was remembered later uh, when Constantine was the emperor. And uh, if you've read ahead, you know you know what happens with him and incorporating Christianity into the empire. So that was kind of a stain on his record. Uh, we know that um, some people think that his junior emperor was behind a lot of it. Um, and some people think uh, it was mostly him. But at the very least, he permitted it. Uh, and allowed it to happen. Um, but after that, he decided to retire, which is something that not many emperors do. Wow, he got so he got to retire. Yeah, and so he didn't he, get the he, he didn't get the official uh, Roman senatorial impeachment. Yeah, not the old uh, you know knife in the back. Right, uh, so yeah. so anyways, he um he decides to retire. He gets Maximian to retire too, and they elevate the other two. Caesars to Augustus, and then they pick two more junior emperors. Um, and spoiler alert, uh, after Diocletian leaves, it all falls apart, uh, and the Tetrarchy falls apart. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, he goes off and he starts farming cabbages, because that's what you do, I guess, if you retire from public life, from being the, you know, the most powerful person in that part of the world. And supposedly, a few years later, when they tried to get him to come back uh, to help when everything was falling apart, he made some remark about, like, if you saw the size of my cabbages, like, you'd understand why I'm not going to do this. So wow. that was... Turn, he turned down, you know, a second run at being emperor for cabbage. That's They, they must really have been good, nice cabbages. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So what happened to him? Uh, you know, he kind of ended his life, sadly. He died a couple years after that, uh, really disillusioned with the fact that the Tetrarchy failed. Wow. So, well, at least he could take some some solace in his, uh, his cabbages. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so.
So, well, Dave, man, that is some, that's some pretty interesting stuff we were able to talk about for the third century. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, with Diocletian, I got a little carried away, and, uh, you know, that's why we had to turn it into two episodes, but... Well, yeah, uh, and, and I don't know if you had time. Did, were you able to... Um, were you able to uh, kind of come up with a, a sponsor? Or I mean, did you did anyone contact you about sponsoring our episode this week? Uh, well, you know, I had a sponsor for the the first episode, right? Yeah. And uh, for the second episode, I you know, it turns out I do have a sponsor as well. You do? Oh wow! So someone was able to contact you in time. That's good. Yeah, it is. Um, so our sponsor today is for toys that make noise. Oh wow! Yeah. So uh, I'll just I'll go ahead and play it. Toys that make noise. Is there a parent out there that you hate? Would you like to give them a gift that their kids will love but the parents will absolutely hate? One that will incessantly make noise and never stop, maybe even going off in the middle of the night for no reason. Is there an intruder in your home or some sort of supernatural presence that's making that toy make noise? You'll never know. Toys that make noise. Wow, I I love toys that make noise. I. <laughs> that's one of my favorite products in the store. I love to give that to the little kids and, you know, uh, just hand it right off, hand it off to them when they're walking down the aisle. And, uh, I think you gave some of those toys to my kids, Shiloh. I do believe I did, Dave. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things to do is toys, toys with noise. Love them. Anyways, Dave, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure and a great time talking with you about history and just enjoying making fun little remarks about uh, what goes on in the old past there. Yeah. Well, uh, man, thanks, Shiloh. So I guess this is us signing out. This is History by the Century. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave.